0: I'm Kendra Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women, and this is episode 35, where we are talking about the winners of the 2017 Reading Women Awards. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know, this, if I had awesome editing skills, this is where we would put the fanfare in, the, the trumpets, the choir,
1: all of it. Thank Did you. that work? I think so. You're welcome. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so, yeah, we had the hardest time <laughs> picking. Yeah. Oh. It was very difficult
0: picking all these amazing books, but I think we pretty much agreed in the end. Like I think
1: so. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> um, so let's That's talk true. about the new store. You might have noticed on our Instagram page, that we announced we have a brand new store. And so we have cool new merchandise, we have tote bags, and we have stickers, and we have bookmarks. As the Etsy post says, it's a series one, so I hope to do other series of bookmarks too. And then we have Blind Date with the Book, which is you will send us some recent books that you've liked and Kendra and I will pick out a book that we think that you will enjoy based off of what you have read.
0: Yes, which is really exciting because if you ever wanted us to recommend you specifically a book just for you, this is it. And we have hardback and paperback options available. Yep.
1: And I just want to give a shout out to all of you who have already made purchases from our store. You all are awesome and amazing. I've already sent out a couple blind book dates and a couple tote bags and a couple other various objects and you all are just amazing so thank you so much it's been tons of fun so far yeah and if you hear if you love the books today or you own the books today or just whatever you can actually
0: order seals for your books and all to go on the books those are in the store as well which is really cool
1: Yes, we have award kits. I totally forgot about that. I don't know how I forgot that, but <laughs> we have award kits with both one and two seal options so that way one if you own as Kendra said, if you own copies of our award winners either from last year or from this year, you can get some stickers or they're not stickers, they're gold foil seals that are very fancy and you can put them on your books and they look pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie.
0: They are they are already cool. Definitely. They're so shiny. <laughs> We are really into shiny stickers. And if you get a blind date with the book, we also have new recommended stickers for those, too. They're pretty, too. They are gorgeous. I am so excited. I just want to put them on all my books. (laughs) You can't do that, Kendra. I know. I know. But it's, it's worth thinking that I could... That that would be a lot of books. That'd be a lot of stickers. It would be a lot of
1: books, a lot of stickers. Uh, So be sure to check that out. You can get to it through our website where it says store. You can click on it there. We'll link to it in our show notes, and it'll occasionally pop up on Facebook and in our Instagram bio. So yeah, be sure to check it out. So since this is the last episode of the year for us, Kendra, why don't you tell us about what's coming up in the next couple weeks?
0: Right, so we are going to be taking a break. This is our last episode, and we will be back in the second half of January with new episodes. But we're going to use this time to obviously spend the holidays with our family, but also do some bigger projects that we've been wanting to do on the like the back end of for, of Reading Women. So we have a lot of different updates planned, so you'll just have to stay tuned. Uh, but we will all still be doing the newsletter, and we'll still be on social media, and
1: really anywhere else. We're yeah, we're not going anywhere. It's just we're just taking a break from recording because a lot of people are traveling at this time and there's just lots of craziness going on. So it's just better if we take a short hiatus. But we won't be gone long. Don't worry. And we're not actually
0: really going anywhere. Yeah no. We'll still be here. We're still reading obviously and prepping for the new year. We have our themes uh picked out and all this stuff so we're very very excited to get started. So before we forget, we do have something else to talk about, which we're really excited about. We've been working on our 2018 reading
1: challenge. And it's going to be so much fun. We've never done one before, so we're excited. Yeah, so it's 24 challenges,
0: so that's about uh, averages out to two books a month. So we have a lot of different challenges that we've been putting together.
1: So... We have, as Kendra mentioned, we have 24 different challenges and they're all different ranges of, um, I don't want to say complexity because that makes reading sound hard, but all different varieties of uh, all different styles of reading and um, all different types of challenges. Like, for example, we have like, you know, read an essay collection or read a book set in Russia or by a Russian author. But then we also have... I wonder where that came from. I don't know. <laughs> I just I just can't even imagine. Um, but then we also have some... Um, some of the other ones are like a book with a food item in a title or a book with a viewpoint character who is an immigrant or a refugee. So all a whole mix of things, hopefully to keep it fun and interesting and get you reading out of your comfort zone. And there's also like the challenges like reading a book that's
0: been on your TBR, the long story genre that you don't normally read. And so I'm really excited about those.
1: Yeah, so we're excited and we're going to have, we haven't quite hammered out the details yet, but we are going to have some sort of prize and or prizes at the end of the year. So once we kind of sort that out, who knows, we might have some like, little mini prizes along the way we'll just see what happens so come along with
0: us on our grand experiment so we'll be posting that uh, on our website and on our social media so keep an eye out for that and you can see that and we'll have like graphic where you can see all the different challenges and keep track of it and everything so stay tuned really excited about it obviously but before we actually get into next year we should probably uh, announce the winners for this year because that's what everyone's here for right drum roll please All right, so I guess it's that time. So we are not going to be like the National Book Awards and like make you watch us eat for 30 minutes before we actually (laughs) announce the award. I don't (laughs) even know. I don't even know why they do that. Anyway, we're going to be nice, and we're just going to jump right in. Um, So the first category is nonfiction, and so we are going to read off the shortlist in case you missed it for whatever reason. So first on the list is Hunger, A Memoir of My Body by Roxane Gay. And we also have The Best We Could Do, an illustrated memoir by T. Bowie. And Tell Me Everything You Don't Remember, The Stroke That Changed My Life by Christine Hung Oak Lee.
1: And Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong and the New Research That's Rewriting the Story by Angela Saini. The Fact of a Body, a Murder and a Memoir by Alexandria Marzano-Lesnovich. And last but not least, Reading with Patrick, A Teacher, A Student, and a Life-Changing Friendship by Michelle Kuo. It's a good list. It is a good
0: list. There's so many amazing books on this list, but we did have to narrow it down to one book. Should I do another drumroll? Sure.
1: I don't know. Let's try it. And the winner is...
0: Hunger, a memoir by Roxane Gay. Woohoo! I am so excited to talk about this book, guys. Like, oh my goodness. So, we both love this book and we are going to do like our regular discussion episode kind of format for this so we can talk a little bit about it and why we loved it but just before we do that we want to tell you a little bit about um, Roxane Gay as an author so she is a teacher she teaches writing um, but also she has written for Let's see, she's written for the Best American Mystery Stories of 2014, Best American Short Stories of 2012, uh, Best Sex in Writing in 2012, uh, McSweeney's, Tin House, Oxford American, and, uh, just all over the place. But she's also written two other... She's written two novels, and the short story collection Difficult Women, also the essay collection Bad Feminist, and this is her first memoir.
1: And she also writes... Uh, she wrote for Marvel. She's written so about everything. That's pretty cool. Looking at this list, it's just mind-blowing how much she's done. And I have to say, like before we get into the discussion, Kendra has been talking about Roxane Gay for, I don't know, just about as long as I've known her. And I've been like, yeah, 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 I'll get to Roxane Gay. And I hadn't until this book. And this was my very first book of hers. And, oh, my goodness, I am so sad that I waited so long to read her. So if you're putting it off, don't put it off. That's the moral of the story.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I did the same thing with Jasmine Ward, so I can forgive you. So it true. was only more like three months rather than three years. But oh. we're not counting.
1: Who's counting? <laughs> not me.
0: <laughs> I was like, well, we can check off the Jedward Jasmine Ward mention for this podcast. Check. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, so to begin our discussion, I actually had a quote um, from the introductory, I guess the first two chapters of the memoir that I'm going to read so everyone can get a general idea of what the book is about. So here we go. In chapter one uh, and chapter two, she says, "'Every body has a story and a history. Here I offer mine with a memoir of my body and my hunger. Mine is not a success story. Mine is simply a true story. I wish so very much that I could write a book about triumphant weight loss and how I learned how to live more effectively with my demons.' I wish I could write a book about being at peace and loving myself wholly at any size. Instead, I've written this book. This is my truth. This is a memoir of my body because more often than not, stories like mine are ignored or dismissed or derided. People see bodies like mine and make their assumptions. They think they know the why of my body. They do not. This is not a story of triumph. This is a story that demands to be told and deserves to be heard. And she absolutely lives up to that introduction she does and you know i just kept underlining all of the things in this book and i actually wrote notes to my future self and a tab says i'm going to be marking everything aren't i (laughs) 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 and it's true i have like i have so many underlines and sticky notes in this book because she does such an amazing job and she doesn't do the stereotypical this is my journey, and then this was my struggle, but now I no longer struggle, kind of narrative that we expect. Hers is like, this is just a document of my ongoing current struggle, which I
1: think is absolutely beautiful. And I actually listened to the book on audio, and she reads the audiobook, which is just, I always love it when authors have the opportunity to read their own work. And I think especially for a book like this, that is such a personal story and outlines such personal things about her life to hear her own inflections and to hear her own tone and her own cadence as she tells her own story and is really moving. I highly recommend the audiobook. I'm, I, I might
0: have to, when I reread this, I need to, I probably have to do the audiobook. I actually yeah, read this one. Should. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. And I use a pink pen to underline and um, I got to see her and she read from the book, and she signed it to Kendra, and I was just, like, gushing, and I was mumbling and gushing, and she's like, what? And I'm like,
1: thank you for writing the book. (laughs) She's like, see We are always so suave and sophisticated on this podcast, but if you ever met us in real life, because we're both introverts, we would just probably be, like, a mumbling mess on the floor. So, yeah, especially around the likes of... Roxane gay who is like everything.
0: Yeah, and it's like I don't know what I don't know what to say. I don't how do you how do you communicate in 30 seconds what the book meant to you, you without being super intense and awkward? You can't. It's not possible. So you just have to embrace it.
1: Embrace the
0: awkward. Anyway, moving on. So we, wanted to, we really love this book because of what she does with her discussion about her body and how she talks about her body. And you might notice that she kind of refers to her body as other. She is Roxanne who lives in her body, and it's like a house, and she calls it her fortress. And so just FYI, we're going to be having discussions about sexual assault in the next few minutes. So if that's something that you need to be aware of, just FYI. Um, But she was gang raped when she was um, 12 or 13. And so uh, that really just changed the way that she viewed her body and viewed the world around her.
1: And it's not something that she reveals immediately in the story. Um, She kind of gives some context and leads up to it. Well, she talks about like how this thing happened to her, but nobody can really see what happened to her. And yet she has to live with the repercussions of it. And I think that's a really important thing because it's as humans, we are so quick to judge other people based off of their behavior when we don't even know half of the story about why they do the things that they do. So it's just really moving and very compelling to hear her talk about what that was like one of the things that I really loved
0: about this book is how she gives you concrete, like, little snippets, anecdotes of what it's like to live um, as a large, fat woman. So she is over six feet tall, and she um, as she says, she describes you know, how she interacts and, like, what her size is and stuff, in it's And she says, you know, this world is not made for me. And she travels a lot because she's an author and she does book tours. And she talks about how like planes aren't made for her. And when she used to fly economy, she would buy two seats because people next to her would just be so awful if she came in and sat down. You know. So now she does travel. Like she says, now that she has the privilege of you know flying first class, she has it built into her contracts just so she can have the space. When she's flying. And I just thought that was so interesting. And she has a lot
1: of different anecdotes like that. So she also talks about the different ways that people deal with trauma and specifically about how she couldn't, she didn't feel like she could talk to her parents about it because of the shame and like how horrible she felt, which she said that instead of like talking about it and talking about what happened to her, she just started eating and kind of like built a fortress out of herself to protect herself against other people. And kind of how the people around her didn't understand that and didn't only saw her weight. They didn't see or think to ask what could be contributing to it. And there's this quote that illustrates this perfectly that says, My father believes hunger is in the mind. I know differently. I know that hunger is in the mind and the body and the heart and the soul.
0: That is such a moving quote. And it just perfectly captures how her weight isn't just weight it's like the weight of the weight of everything that she has suffered and her feelings it's like it's a physical manifestation of how trauma has affected her which I mean it basically is mm-hmm. and it, I just think she does that so well and describes that so well and I was just I just really appreciated the way that she talked about it and the way you know it's not just that what she's talking about it's how she expresses it combined with her brilliant you know like her beautiful prose. This book is just, is
1: gorgeous. Yeah, it's very eloquent, which I'm not going to really, I, I don't want to say it's surprising. But a lot, memoirs comes in all different shapes and sizes and all in all different kinds of veins. And this one was just, the word I can think after reading it was eloquent. Like, she's just a beautiful writer. When I went to see her, she read a section of the book where she talks about looking
0: up and finding Uh, her boyfriend, who was the guy who basically lured her to the cabin where she was gang-raped by a bunch of his friends and him, and so she still knows who he is. She knows his name, and so she looked him up as an adult, and she still knows who he is, and she talks about how she still Googles him every so often just to see what he's doing, and there's this beautiful, like, section about how... that he will always be there. That's, like, like, something she can't forget, and that's something... Like, that's always there for her. People forget about it. People forget that this happened to her, but she will never forget, and she still uh, knows that he's there, and she's still, even today, afraid of him. It was just really poignant way of pointing out that oftentimes when people experience trauma or grief or anything that a lot of people forget that these this person is thinking about this every single day of their life, they will forget that this happened to this person, but the person who suffered the trauma will not forget and she did a, a beautiful job of doing that. And she talks about how her relationship with food is kind of like, is like that. So she has to eat every day, obviously. Everyone has to eat every day. And so it's like when she eats, she reminds herself of the trauma and how she wants to protect herself and just that ongoing experience with
1: that. She also talks about weight loss and all the different diets and things that she's tried over the years. And one of the things she says is that how... When she diets, she feels exposed and scared, and so she stops dieting. Again, it's just another way where, you know, you can be so quick to judge a person based off of their appearance, but who knows what kinds of emotional or physical things are tied up in the things that they do. She talks about a lot about... Her
0: life and just different things that she only alluded to in, like, Bad Feminists and some of her, like, short story writing. You kind of wonder, like, where this came from. And so she talks about in the book about how she left school um, and how she left school and she went and she ran off with this guy that she met on the internet and kind of her experience of trying to deal with the trauma in that way and how she came out as as a lesbian when... Um, she was in high school or college, and then she realized later that she was bisexual. So she does a great job of portraying what it's like to discover like the fluidity of your own sexuality and moving from one identification to another, and she talks about that um, a lot. And she also talks about uh, Channing Tatum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you follow uh, her on Twitter, there's a lot of talk about Channing Tatum there, too. And Ida Garten, yes. but in a very different sense. <laughs> So she did just a great job of portraying the intersectionality of that, and she talks about how she had this job uh, in her 20s where she had to kind of choose what she would advocate for. So she was a queer woman who was black... And also a, you know, a fat woman. So she had to decide which one, like, she would advocate for because she couldn't do all of those at once at the time. And now she's talked about, uh, also in her talk that I was at, she would talk about, like, basically she had to choose one and go with it. Now people are more aware of intersectionality and how that works. So I thought that was very interesting how she talks about how the factors What's the word am I looking for? Interact with each other. She's just brilliant. She is. In summary. She's just brilliant.
1: She is. And we could probably talk about this book for a very, very long time. Well, and also so I read Hunger and then very shortly thereafter I read Difficult Women, which is a short story collection, and I highly recommend that regiment. Read Hunger and then read Difficult Women. It's a beautiful pairing. You won't regret it. (laughs) So
0: before we end, I'm going to read one last paragraph, and that will be the end of our discussion of uh, Hunger by Roxane Gay. Uh, But I felt like this little paragraph really just encapsulates a lot of our discussion of the novel. Uh, So she says, And then there is how strangers treat my body. I am shoved into public spaces, as if my fat inures me from... Pain and or as if I deserve pain. Punishment for being fat. People step on my feet. They brush and bump against me. They run straight into me. I am highly visible, but I am regularly treated as if I am invisible. My body receives no respect or consideration or care in public spaces. My body is treated like a public space. Mm. So good. So good, guys. So definitely go out and, and get Hunger by Roxane Gay.
1: So, which brings us to the middle of our podcast, and our sponsor this month is us, Um, and we specifically wanted to take this time to talk a little bit about our Patreon page, and we have several people who are patrons of the Reading Women podcast on Patreon, and that's a mouthful. And it's just a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, and...
0: We love, we have, as we've mentioned before, we have Fur Baby Fridays, and we comment on, like, just news. It's an excuse to post photos of our first children, but also we tell about news that's coming up. So we've talked about, like, we'll give you usually, like, a week or so heads up of things that are coming up that we might be doing. So, like, interviews or uh, Q&As with authors. Or in in our newsletter, we also have upcoming
1: themes. We've already released our themes through February on our newsletter. So that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And we are also planning a Google Hangouts or other similar kind of thing for sometime between the day that this is released and the new year, hopefully with only our patrons. So we'll be chatting about books and life and stuff and who knows what kind of trouble we'll get into. Um, but <laughs> you can only participate in that if you are a patron. A patron of the podcast, so if you want to get in on that kind of goodness, be sure to check that out. And it'll be a great bookish party, and our fur children might also be present, so. They probably will.
0: Probably. Margo I mean, even can't if we help. didn't
1: want them to be. Right. <laughs> they just show up. Right. Margo can't not make guest appearances on the podcast. She's, like, rubbing around my feet as I'm talking, so, yeah. It's true, and she's usually meowing into the microphone point. She usually, at some point. So be sure to check out our Patreon page. This podcast is made possible by our patrons, and we are so grateful for them and for their support. And if you want to be part of that group and if you want to help make this podcast possible, then be sure to check it out. And that brings us to the fiction category. Fiction! I have no rhythm. <laughs> so let's just read these titles. Our first pick is The Weight of Him by Ethel Rowan. Stay With Me by Aobami Adebayo. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. The Strays by Emily Biddo. The Lonely Hearts Hotel by Heather O'Neill. Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward. <laughs> and that <laughs> is our second Jasmine Ward mention of the podcast. Check. Anyway, um, <laughs> and the winner is. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. So let's talk about this pick. (laughs) So, it is not a lie to say that Kendra and I agonized over this. Like, we literally (laughs) agonized over it. Because, I mean, seriously, look at that list. I mean, you could pick every single book on that list and it would not be a bad pick. Like, you really wouldn't. So... Yeah, we've been talking about these books for a while because as you may
0: not surprise you, we've known some of the books have been on the shortlist for a long time. So we've been talking about them and what they, you know, things about them that we love. And just one of the things we came back to was we kept bringing up Pachinko, like always. It was always there. And the more we thought about it, the more it resonated with us, which I think is one of uh, the strong points of Pachinko.
1: And some of you... You Know Who You Are, may be surprised that we didn't pick Sing Unburied, Sing, and even though it is a beautiful book and we highly recommend it, I mean, we highly recommend all these, so that's a moot point, but Pachinko just really, I don't know, like, we just, I don't know. It just sticks with you. It does, and I think that that
0: is one of the shining stars of the book maybe or one of its best attributes is that it is very long-lasting some books you put down and you're greatly moved while you're reading them but they don't last as long and this book really does and I mean not just the fact that it's like I don't know 500 some pages 500 pages 496 pages I heard that the paperback is over 500 really so we can say it's over 500 <laughs> So not just while you're reading it, but after you read it, because there are still images and parts of this book that have remained with me. And I keep thinking about this book and I keep recommending it to people. And I have bought it for so many people for Christmas at this point because it's just that fantastic.
1: Well, and even when I was flipping through it, kind of refreshing for this episode, it didn't matter what page I turned to. I was like, it took everything I had not to get sucked back into it. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter where you open it up. It's just, oh man. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's talk a little bit about the lovely author Min Jin Lee. And she is, this is not Min Jin Lee's first novel. Her her debut novel is Free Food for Millionaires, which I have on my shelf and which came out 10 years ago. So it, Ooh, ooh, maybe we have another Donna Tart on our hands.
0: <laughs> I hope not. That, would that be We'd have to wait, like,
1: nine years for another one to come out. That's true. That's so sad. Dear Min, please don't wait ten years to write another book. But if you do, that's fine. Anyway, <laughs> this is her second book, and we had the chance to talk to her way earlier this year. And so she talked that, about how, like, Free Food for Millionaires, Pachinko, and then there's going to be a third book. And they're sort of kind of a trilogy, but kind of not thematic trilogy yes they're a thematic trilogy thank you kendra anytime yeah so this is so pachinko is kind of like the second book in the story so i need to go back and read free food for millionaires um but yeah so pachinko has been nominated for all kinds of awards and she's really awesome and just go listen to the interview because she's a lovely person um and that's all i'm gonna say
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's there might be a little bit of an author crush here
1: maybe maybe a little bit. (laughs) I'm going to buy her a donut one day, but that's beside the point. So the first line of the book is, History has failed us, but no matter. And it is like such an innocuous sentence, but by the time you get to the 500th page, it just makes so much sense. And this is a book about histories. It's a book about a family, and it's a book about the generations – are about different generations of the same family and the things that they encounter and the struggles that they have and just their family history, and it's more immersive than you would expect. <laughs> yes, and I feel
0: like this first sentence is one of those great first sentences that just you just think about. Uh, like it was sort of, I mean, dare I say, like, you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And, you know, Jane Austen, beautiful first line, different things. But this one I feel like encapsulates the entire book in just the first line. And that is about a Korean family who goes to Japan. And I didn't even know that this community existed in Japan. And I think that basically says it right there. History has failed us. No one is telling our story, basically.
1: Yeah, and part of just a high-level history of that is that so Koreans who live in Japan are very much discriminated against and for various political and social reasons. So a little bit of the history is like um, the Japanese were not welcoming of the Koreans um, at any time in history and particularly after the Korean War and after World War II and all these different events. So much so that if a child was born in Japan to Korean parents, he or she was not considered a Japanese citizen. So he'd have to he'd have to apply for citizenship and all kinds of things. Min spent a lot of time researching this, (laughs) so um, she is the utmost authority, and I'm probably going to butcher all this history, but all the more the reason to just read the book.
0: Yeah, and I feel like she does a great job of capturing what it was like to be a Korean in Japan during different generations, so before World War II, during World War II, after, and she also chronicles like this law where... Once your child was X amount of age, they had to apply to stay in the country and they could actually be deported at any time. So you're taking your kid to this office to apply for like basically like sort of like a visa to stay and they could be deported and you couldn't go with them kind of deal. Yeah. And just a lot of different things that we didn't even know existed. So that is just, again, the first sentence just really, I think, captures that.
1: And as we've mentioned with like the page count, this book is definitely not a fast read. It's definitely, a, I think you described it, Kendra, as a marathon read. And the style of the writing is very uh, understated, would probably be the best way to describe it. It's not very overly poetic, it's not overly fancy, but I think if it was any more... I don't want to say literary, but if it was any more, like, stylized, yeah, if it was more, like, flowery or stylized, I don't think you could get through the page count. It would be really hard. Uh, yeah, I think it
0: would be very, as said, very difficult, when you think of really stylized writers, sort of like you think Ali Smith, her novels are, like, 300 pages or less, and I don't think they could be any longer because of the intense, like, style that she does. So I think she uses the style to her benefit because she's writing 500 pages of this family's life. And like, I don't think that would really be sustainable over that kind of long um, storytelling. So I think she does a great job of figuring out what works best for her
1: story. And I will say too, that I've seen, I felt this way. I don't know if you felt this way, but I know I felt this way. And I've seen reviews also where other people said they felt this way, which is like, you don't really know what to do with the book once you finish it. Like, you've spent all this time with this family and with these characters, and then it's over. And I think it took me a couple weeks, maybe, before I was like, man, that was a powerful, powerful book. I mean, I loved it from the beginning, but, like, the longer it set, the longer I loved it, or the more I loved it. It's almost like... I
0: don't want to use a weird food analogy, but it's almost like it ferments as it sits like there. She yes. puts all the ingredients in your brain and they just sit there and you keep thinking about them. And I mean, we read this in what, like early February? February. And I'm still yeah. thinking about a lot of the things that she yeah. said. And she has so many different themes that we could talk about this book for like five episodes and Probably still <laughs> not talk about all of the things that are in this book. Um, because it is like a multi-generational family saga, but there's also layers of different uh, topics and you know themes that she just takes on in this book. And just the scope of it is just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And that's why, because there is so much to talk about, we've decided to main things about the book. And one is the structure itself, and then one is um, one big theme, which I'll get to in a minute. But as far as the structure... So it's in three parts in three different generations. The title comes from a gambling machine that's very popular in Japan called a well, obviously it's called a pachinko machine, and it looks kind of like a pinball machine. And I don't know if you all ever watched The Price is Right growing up, like me, but you know, plinko, you know, like it's kind of like a cross between a plinko board and a pinball machine. And that's what's the uh,
0: American hardcover. Is is it is true a picture of a pachinko machine?
1: And there's videos on YouTube and stuff if you want to see how it works. It's actually cool.
0: I lo- we love shiny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the paperback is really beautiful too. But the hardcover is, man. Anyway, and it's shiny again with the shiny. <laughs> so in pachinko, you like in in Japan, you can't gamble for cash. So you win. Like You use a pachinko ball and you can get more balls and then you cash in the balls for money. It's a complicated process. But there's all these pachinko parlors in Japan and they're mostly run by Koreans because the Japanese are too good to run them or they consider it a low kind of occupation. But so the structure of the book, I feel like very much mirrors how a pachinko game would play out in the sense of like... So, you know, in Pachinko, you, like, pull the lever and the ball goes up, lands in a slot, and you get X number of points depending on where the ball... And in a very similar way, the main... I guess you could argue she's the main character. Sunja? Yeah. Yeah. So, Sunja, who's, like, the main character, at the very beginning, she's kind of... She's uh, ricocheted into this life trajectory where she gets pregnant and she's not married. And so that creates all these different sort of consequences and things that happen and she and her family kind of like ping pong around and kind of hoping to land in a good place because they end up being displaced and they're not accepted where they are and then there's like so many more things on top of that that I can't even get into right now because I would be here for the rest of the night until they finally like land in a place um which is just really beautiful and so poetic too. And it is really interesting
0: how like each generation moves forward and you kind of feel like the balance of where their fates are is basically just like a pachinka machine. You don't really know where it's going to land and like they don't have any control over it and they're basically just there for the ride.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in that way, even though it's a long book, it's it is a page turner i wanted to know what happened to them yeah i remember we were texting each other as always what
0: happens when we read amazing books and you know we were going through like what's going on where are you and just different things because we really love the book and i remember finishing it and just holding it to my chest like i can't believe it's over (laughs) that was a sad day it was but the good news is you can reread it it's true It's very true. My poor copy. Like, I want to reread Pachinko and underline and tab the thing because I haven't done that because I was so excited. Like, it was, as you said, a page-turner. Like, I could not stop to underline or tab because I had to know what was going on.
1: Yeah, I need to do some underlining, too. (laughs) Um, Or might be a little obsessed. (laughs) Maybe. Possibly. Not at
0: all. No. So you said you wanted to talk about a theme in the book.
1: Yeah, so one of the main themes that I think really stood out for me personally was kind of this contrast between duty and desire. And so Sunja especially is torn or caught between the things that she's supposed to do and the things that she wants to do. And that is a struggle that I think all of the characters on some level have to confront at some point. And there's this really great quote in the beginning, and it's after Sunja... Well, so she gets pregnant and then her mom works out an arrangement where she can get married to kind of save her reputation and her Sunja's new husband is moving to Japan. He is a minister and he's going to pastor a church there. And her mom, Yang Jen, is with her down at the dock and this is kind of and so this is a quote about her. So it says Yang Jen held the smallest bundle close to her chest. When would she see her daughter again? She wondered The whole world felt broken. What was better for Sunja and the child no longer seemed to matter. Why did they have to go? Yang Jin would not be able to hold her grandchild. Why couldn't she go with them? There must be work for her in Osaka, she reasoned. But Yang Jin knew she had to stay. It was her responsibility to care for her in-law's graves and her husband's. She couldn't leave Huni. Besides, where would she stay in Osaka? that to me just kind of summarizes the whole tone of the book
0: and as sunja and her children you know they grow older you see the desires of the children and you even see isaac's desires when he's a minister trying to minister to his people and what he wants to do and what he's allowed to do as a korean man in japan and just through the generations you can even see that down to sunja's grandchild Um, at the end of the book try not to give spoilers sorry
1: guys (laughs) yeah we're trying really hard not to give spoilers but even like with sunja like she doesn't really want to marry isaac she wants to be with the father of her baby but she can't because he's married and has three kids and he she doesn't want to be his mistress so it's just all of these really hard struggles with with the things that you're supposed to do and the things that you really want to do
0: it's incredibly well done I'm just going to sit here. It's, it's like, we're going to just gonna sit here in silence and think about it. <laughs> Let's think about it.
1: Another thing that I wanted to point out too, kind of was how, how many like strong women are in this book. And that's one of the things that we talked about, to men about when we um, got to talk to her was about how many strong female characters are in this book. And this family is absolutely a matriarchy for like lots of different reasons. The matriarchy is kind of contrasted to just the lives that the women have. Like, they're um, very—so on the one hand, they're, like, really ambitious. So, Sunja's sister-in-law wants to start her own business selling kimchi, and Sunja helps her sell kimchi for a while, and then she ends up working in a restaurant, and she ends up working her basically her whole adult life for a lot of different reasons. So, these are very, like— ambitious women who have skills and who have talents and want to help and contribute to their families. But then there's another um, quote in the book that says, a woman's life is endless work and suffering. There is suffering and then there is more suffering. It's better to expect it, you know, You're becoming a woman now, so you should be told this. For a woman, the man you marry will determine the quality of your life completely. A good man is a decent life. A bad man is a cursed life. But no matter what, always expect suffering and just keep working hard.
0: And I think you can definitely see how the women of the family keep the family together. That even though they live in a very sexist, like patriarchal society, it's the women who continuously pull the family together and keep the family afloat and that they are the glue for the family.
1: And it's interesting too, like flipping back through the book, when I was re-reviewing for this episode, it's how many sections are narrated by men, but it's actually like all about the women, like the women are like s- still like the driving force in this book, which is just, it's just really cool to see that. Yeah,
0: I, That's something I really did love about the book because there was was there's one point where you mentioned that uh, Sunja has started a business to help support the family, and she is uh, the men in her family are kind of resistant against that because it's like a shameful that you know that your wife has to work to make money to support the family. But she's just so good at it, and she just wants to do something. She's able to convince the men in her family that this is a good idea. And then eventually she is the breadwinner of the family. Mm-hmm. And it's just she just, just has so much drive to do
1: stuff for her family. It's a really beautiful and compelling story. And it's really cool to see Sunja's growth, too. Like, from the beginning, when she first, you know... Um, meets Hansu, who's the father for baby, and like as she grows and develops, and as she has other children, and um, gets to the end of her life, and just kind of the peace and the grace that she has—it's just really. It's just really astounding. And we're intentionally like not talking a lot about the plot because, we, as we said, we don't really want to give away any spoilers. And also because there's so much to talk about in this book that we just had to cut out a yeah. lot. <laughs> you can't really summarize 500 pages in 20 minutes. You can't. You really can't. Um, <laughs> but I will say, too, um, just don't be intimidated by the page size it'll suck you in and you'll finish it and then be sad that you're done with it it is it is really it is really beautiful it is
0: was there anything else you wanted to add no i think i think that's basically it now i just want to go and reread it
1: i know me too bye (laughs) no way (laughs) so that is pachinko by Min Jin lee our 2017 fiction winner for the reading women award
0: Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. It's just, it's
1: so good. We've been wanting to talk about these
0: for forever. And I have mine right here. I have the seal on my book. It is beautiful. It is glorious. I'm very, very happy with our our winners. And they just look so
1: beautiful. I, yeah. That's all. Just, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, that is the winners of the 2017 Reading Women Awards. Please tell us your thoughts uh, anywhere on social media. You can also contact us, but, uh, if you would like to leave us a wonderful uh, holiday gift slash Christmas present, please we review us in iTunes or Stitcher or really wherever you get your podcast. That We greatly appreciate it. It helps others find us. You can also find Reading and Women Awards seals in our store, which will be linked in the show notes so you could have seals on your very own uh, book. And also check out our newsletter, which will be going through the holidays, so you will get updates all throughout uh, the time when we have our time off from the actual podcast. We'll be back in January with brand new episodes with some new exciting features that we are very thrilled to share with you, but uh, let us finish them and work on them first. Uh, We'll be featuring more books by or about women then, so we'll
1: see you in a month. And I can't believe that this is the end of our 2017 season. It's so crazy. It has been an amazing year of reading. I am like completely shell-shocked by how many great books that I've read this year and hopefully you all have read some great books this year too and if you're good reads any indication I know you have so thank you all so much for listening thank you for supporting us and for following us this year we really appreciate it we've had an amazing year and we couldn't do it without you so thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you so over the break you can find me Autumn Privet on Twitter at Autumn Privet and you can find Kendra at at KD Winchester diaz and dylan and you can find the reading women on facebook and on instagram and on twitter and on let's see and i think we're also on goodreads and so be sure to continue to talk to us about books there and we will see you all in 2018 bye guys
0: Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers, with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet, or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm so up
1: Hi, I'm Megan Angelo.
0: This is Tommy Orange.
1: This is Amanda Stern.
0: This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound Podcast. Season two will be arriving on July 14th with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Danler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.